0: Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly The Strickland Saga. Pope Francis removes the Archbishop of Tyler, Texas from his office. EWTN Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn explains a medical war zone. Another round of fighting sparks between Israeli forces and Hamas as thousands of Palestinians flee Gaza hospitals. We have the latest. A new offer. Our speaker, Mike Johnson, presents his plans to Republican lawmakers on how to avoid the government shutdown five days away. And it takes a village. Notre Dame and two-time Super Bowl champ Harrison Butker start an initiative to help former inmates grow closer to God. These stories and more tonight.
1: From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly.
0: Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Francis Cabrini. Our top story tonight, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Fall Assembly opens this week in Baltimore, Maryland. However, a controversial move by Pope Francis is threatening to overshadow the meetings. The Holy Father ordered the removal of Bishop Joseph Strickland as a head of the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. EWTN News Vatican correspondent Colin Flynn has more.
2: A dramatic move by Pope Francis, the removal of a bishop from his position.
3: Pope Francis has fired an East Texas
2: bishop who Pope Francis effectively him. fired Bishop Joseph Strickland from his diocese in Tyler, Texas. The Vatican did not provide a reason for the ousting, but rather simply said that Pope Francis was, quote, relieving him of his duties. So now the question is why? In June of this year, the Vatican launched a formal investigation called an apostolic visitation into Bishop Strickland to examine all aspects of the governance and leadership in the diocese. In a statement, Cardinal Daniel DiNardo, Archbishop of Galveston, Houston, explained the outcome. He said, as a result of the visitation, the recommendation was made to the Holy Father that the continuation in office of Bishop Strickland was not feasible. After months of careful consideration by the Dicastery for Bishops and the Holy Father, the decision was reached that the resignation of Bishop Strickland should be requested. Having been presented with that request on November the 9th, 2023, Bishop Strickland declined to resign from office. The findings of that apostolic visitation have not been published, but many commentators are not convinced that his dismissal is because of poor governance and parish management. Bishop Strickland has served as Shepherd of the Diocese of Tyler since 2012, and while he has been a popular church leader, he has faced widespread criticism for his firebrand social media posts including a tweet from May of this year that suggested Pope Francis was quote, undermining the deposit of faith. Strickland has been an outspoken critic of Pope Francis, including criticising the recent Synod on Synodality. In a public letter in August, he wrote that those in the Synod who were suggesting certain changes to Church teachings were indeed schismatic.
3: What this means for you in terms
2: of. In an living. interview only hours after his dismissal, Bishop Strickland described this time as a storm for him.
1: But I believe it is simply the reality. I'm in the hands of the Lord, as we all are. None of us truly knows what tomorrow holds. Certainly, I, I remain a bishop and a successor of the apostles. Uh, please take care
2: of- in a statement from the Vatican, the Holy Father appointed Bishop Joe Vasquez of Austin as Apostolic Administrator of the Diocese of Tyler. A new bishop for the diocese will likely be named in the coming months. In Rome, Colum Flynn, EWTN News nightly.
0: Joining us now from Rome is Jonathan Liedel, senior editor at the National Catholic Register. Uh, Great to see you, Jonathan. As we heard from Colin, uh, Bishop Strickland did give an interview shortly after his removal. What else did he say?
3: Well, Tracy, when Bishop Strickland was asked why he uh, believes he was removed from office, he didn't mince words. He says that he has threatened some of the powers that be with the truth of the gospel. Bishop Strickland went on to say that he believes right now within the church, there is a powerful movement to change teaching and practice in ways that are incompatible with Catholic truth. And he said that given his outspokenness on these issues for people who have that agenda, he said, quote, I'm a problem now, Bishop Strickland. Bishop Strickland did not uh, say that Pope Francis is part of this push to change church teaching, but he did say that these forces have an influence upon the pope and that that went into the decision to remove him from office. However, at the same time, Bishop Strickland was very clear that he accepts the pope's decision to remove him from office, that Pope Francis has the authority to do that. And he also appealed to Catholics, especially those who might be upset by his removal urging them to first and foremost pray for Pope Francis and to pray for the Church and also to stay united to the Church, which is the mystical body of Christ.
0: Now, Jonathan, we know the Vatican didn't give any formal reason for why Bishop Strickland was removed, that is. Uh, We know that during the apostolic visitation in June, in addition to questions about Bishop Strickland's social media use, um, some concerns were raised about his running the diocese. What more can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, the the media reports that surfaced at that time actually indicated that a main line of questioning of that apostolic visitation was on questions of governance in the Diocese of Tyler. For instance, concerns have been raised about significant turnover of diocesan staff, also the management of the local uh, diocesan Catholic school. Uh, a, A somewhat controversial former religious sister who was expelled from religious life in France by Pope Francis was actually given a teaching job At that school, there were also concerns about a planned Catholic community called Veritata Splendor uh, that fell into significant controversy uh, related to financing and also the personal conduct of its members. Uh, But at the same time, there are some of those concerns. There have also been a number of positive signs in the diocese of Tyler under Bishop Strickland's 10-year tenure. And he, in fact, alluded to some of those again in this recent interview he gave.
0: Curious, what has been the reaction uh, so far to Bishop Strickland's removal?
3: Well, Tracy, as you can imagine, Bishop Strickland is certainly a polarizing figure, so the reactions have been very polarized as well. Uh, Some Catholics have celebrated and praised Pope Francis' decision to remove Bishop Strickland. Uh, They've cited his uh, criticisms of the Pope on social media, saying that he was a threat to church unity. On the other hand, uh, others have criticized this as an abuse of papal power. In fact, uh, Cardinal Gerhard Mueller the former prefect of the the Vatican's uh, Office for Doctrine and Faith, he said that this was an abuse of the divine right of the episcopate, so to remove a bishop from his local church without citing a canonical crime.
0: Jonathan, before I let you go, um, now that he is no longer the shepherd of the Diocese of Tyler, do we know what he's going to do?
3: Well, uh, you're right, Bishop Strickland, he's not the shepherd. He remains a bishop, though, so sort of like a shepherd without a flock. Uh, He acknowledged this. He said there are a lot of unanswered questions and a lot of open time on his calendar.
0: All right, we're going to leave right there. Jonathan, great to be with you. We appreciate your insights. One other news, it has been six weeks into the war between Israel and Hamas, and the families of the 240 hostages are still no closer to answers about their loved ones.
3: I'm a big man, I'm
0: a families of the hostages gathered outside of the UN offices in Jerusalem. They add demanding assistance and the release of their loved ones. This as the situation in Gaza worsens and people in the North Gaza Strip attempt to relocate. Bombings and fighting in and around the Al Shifa hospital have intensified, and the hospital has been without electricity and water for three days. Thousands of people have fled from the medical facility in the aftermath of the fighting. Our President Joe Biden mourns the loss of five American soldiers who died during a training mission in the Middle East. They were killed when their helicopter crashed into the Mediterranean Sea. The U.S. sent more troops to the Middle East following the Hamas attack on Israel.
3: You have a leading spokesman from Hamas saying that the objective of the organization is a permanent state of war with Israel. That is the reality that Israel is confronting, and it's a reality that would be unacceptable for any nation.
0: the White House also keeps pushing to free the hostages held by Hamas, President Joe Biden spoke Sunday with the head of Qatar to thank him for trying to help. The two leaders are also pushing for more humanitarian aid for Palestinians in Gaza.
3: The United States has also been leading efforts to increase the flow of life-saving, sustained humanitarian assistance, food, water, medicine, into Gaza.
0: For more we turn now to Gaza-based journalist Akram al Satari. He is at Nasser Hospital in the southern city of Khan Yunis. Akram, great to be with you. First off, uh, tell us what you're witnessing right now.
4: Well, what I'm witnessing in Nasser medical complex is influx of a very large number a very large number of internally displaced people who are seeking safety and coming and gathering in this hospital with no livelihood whatsoever with no food or water supplies yet they are seeking safety in this hospitals the uh, corridor of the hospitals are very uh, full of people either injured people or IDBs the inside words of the hospitals are also full of people they are there are more people who are coming and fleeing from the northern Gaza Strip, who are fleeing to the southern Gaza Strip and who are also staying in the uh, Nasser Medical Complex. So a very large number, IDPs, injured people and families of injured people who are seeking safety and hoping they would survive in this hospital amidst this very large-scale bombardment that has been continuous for 38 days.
0: And the World Health Organization uh, is saying that Al-Shifa Hospital, uh, as we know, Gaza Strip's largest hospital, really isn't functioning as a hospital anymore. What are you hearing about this?
4: Well, as a matter of fact, I spoke to one of the people who were inside a hospital and who fled from a hospital to Gaza Central area and he was describing the situation in a hospital. It is no longer a hospital, it is no longer a shelter for the IDBs where the heavy bombardment that was taking place in the immediate vicinity of the hospital and that the the bombardment that also targeted the ICU department, the CCU department the obstetrics hospital made the hospital empty of the IDBs and of the medical teams except for a very limited number of the uh, medical teams who are staying there and with that direct effect on the people who are in the hospital. And newly uh, born uh, babies and also people who are in life support in the ICUs were directly infected affected, and according to the information around 30 of those people in the ICU have already been pronounced dead due to the lack to electricity and oxygen supplies and around 4 from the new babies are killed. So the hospital is no longer functioning in a hospital and is no longer usable or accessible accessible by the IDBs who were also targeted inside the hospitals.
0: Akram, quickly before I let you go, um, describe to us the overall humanitarian situation over there right now. I mean is it dire?
4: Well I will quote the WHO official who said that the situation is dire and is likely to become even worse. The situation is indeed there. On my way to the hospital I was seeing people who are waiting in long line to fetch some water. I was seeing people who are waiting in thousands to get some loaves of bread to put on the table for their children. I've been seeing people who have been seeking to find Food at any price, but they could not find it. This, the, the humanitarian situation is extremely dire, and people are profoundly affected by the ongoing escalation. And they have been trying their best to get anything whatsoever to help them through the days and nights. But unfortunately, everything is depleting in Gaza, and with the no access policy now, everything that is depleted is very difficult to be substituted by any other new community that is entering the Gaza Strip. The flow of the uh, truckloads into Gaza Gaza from the Egyptian side is very low and people cannot find something that would accommodate their increasing humanitarian need to the very basic supplies in their homes and in their lives.
0: Akram al reporting for Gaza for us. Thank you. Our Congress has just five days to pass a bill in order to keep the government open. House Speaker Mike Johnson unveiled his plan of using a two-step process, but the proposal is already facing opposition even from some members of his own party. That said, the new Speaker is confident that his plan is the best way forward. After a conference call with House Republicans, Speaker Johnson released a statement announcing his plan to fund the government beyond Friday. This two-step continuing resolution is a necessary bill to place House Republicans in the best position to fight for conservative victories. Separating out the CR from the supplemental funding debates places our conference in the best position to fight for fiscal responsibility. The two-part continuing resolution funds most of the federal government until January 19th, while extending defense and homeland security funding until February 2nd. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries says the plan is a gimmick.
1: The notion of a laddered CR is another extreme uh, right-wing policy joyride that is reckless and would only crash and burn the federal government. It's a non-starter.
0: There are already a handful of Republicans who are also skeptical of the Speaker's plan. Congressman Chip Roy, a House Freedom Caucus member, says he's a no and posted my position to the clean CR just announced by the speaker to the at House GOP cannot be overstated, funding Pelosi-level spending and policies for 75 days for future promises. Some House Republicans say they are trying to restore fiscal discipline.
3: I think we end up having a CR of some type. We're going to have to. Nobody wants a government shutdown. We want to fund the government, but we also want appropriations bills. We want government to actually run like it's supposed to, not be jammed with this huge omnibus bill that Senator Schumer likes to send to us with a big stinky Christmas package.
0: All speaker Johnson wants to vote on a government funding plan shortly. It does not include spending cuts, aid to Ukraine, or money for border security. The speaker says debate on that emergency aid will likely happen after Thanksgiving. Well, Senator Tim Scott has dropped out of the race to be the GOP nominee for president in 2024. The South Carolina Republican made that announcement last night. The pro-lifer has been outspoken about his Christian faith. In last week's GOP debate in Miami, he also defended the unborn. Senator Scott had been pulling at less than three percent. We have a lot more still to come on EWTN News Nightly, including a widening war. The U.S. conducts airstrikes in Syria. Meanwhile, the Biden administration steps up its retaliation for attacks on American forces. And short life, big impact. How the death of eight-month-old Indy Gregory shines a light on the plight of parents with critically ill babies. new airstrikes in eastern Syria. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made the announcement this morning during a presser in Seoul, South Korea.
1: You know, we, last night, our U.S. forces conducted uh, precision strikes in eastern Syria against two facilities that are used by uh, Iran's IRGC and affiliated groups. And I just want to remind you that These strikes are intended to disrupt and degrade the freedom of action and capabilities of these groups, which are directly responsible for attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria.
0: And here to talk about the rising tensions in the region and the U.S. response is Dakota Wood. He served in the U.S. Marine Corps for two decades and is now a senior research fellow for defense programs at the Heritage Foundation. Dakota, thanks for joining us and thank you for your service. Uh, First off, let's talk about these repeated attacks on U.S. bases. What's the objective here? I mean, what are they trying to achieve?
1: Well, there's uh, always this signaling. You know, it's a much overused word but uh, when a terrorist group attacks a U.S. base, oftentimes it's to buttress its own credentials. You know, it's able to strike the Great Satan, strike at the United States with really no negative consequence to them. So they show an ability to target U.S. forces, and that is their credentials. It's also a mechanism for Iran spur these groups, which would be without Iranian support, to conduct these attacks against the United States as well. Perhaps in a strategic sense, they would want the United States to pull out of Syria, to pull out of Western Iraq, and kind of go back home. But this tit-for-tat response, you know, attacks against the U.S., and then after many of these, so we're talking almost 70 of these attacks against U.S. forces or installations just in the last four or five weeks and then the United States responds with a two-plane strike against a warehouse or two. Clearly, this does not deter Iran or any of the groups in Syria that are conducting these sorts of attacks.
0: Yeah, and as we know, Secretary Austin announced uh, U.S. strikes on two Iranian facilities in Syria last night, as we heard. I want to get your thoughts on the U.S. response.
1: Well, you know, it's uh, this messaging, right? So in Washington, D.C., lives in this world where there's a narrative or a story to be told. There is messaging and signaling. It's all very nuanced. And the underlying thing is, if you, the bad guy, don't stop attacking us, uh, then things might get worse. But, but behind that, even, is this uh, reluctance to really go in aggressively. And there is a risk aversion. I mean, nobody wants to see the war expand. Uh, Whether the the, uh, uh, Israeli-Hamas war or a larger conflict in the Middle East, it would be disastrous economically. And yet in that region, many of these groups only value strength, you know, this this, uh, muscularity of how they approach each other. And again, these little pinpoint sorts of precision strikes that do no serious harm to Iran or to its uh, its groups in that area doesn't deter them from anything. So risk aversion on the American side, very risk heavy and aggression uh, aggressive uh, approaches in the Middle East and I fear that this uh, this this aversion from DC and in uh, fear of things getting worse might actually spur the larger war. That a stronger response would actually prevent.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, do you think if we took a more heavy handed approach in the Middle East, um, you know, do you think it could potentially provoke Iran more?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I think the heavier handed approach is really the only one that works. And, you know, this is from a guy who spent almost 40 years associated with military things. I mean, you know, war is just bad. As we're seeing, uh, you know what what occurs up there in in Gaza, you know a lot of innocent people get harmed in the way. But this idea of weakness actually incentivizes the kind of behavior that you would want to, per, you know, prevent. So at times, the only answer is a very strong response, you know, a multi-plane strike against terrorist training installations where it actually produces casualties where groups in that area. Learn the lesson if you try to attack the United States in any way, shape or form that there will be a heavy, heavy penalty to be paid. And that heavy penalty can't be diplomatic rhetoric you know, or, or the threat of additional sanctions. That has to be military force. And I think Washington, D.C. is missing that reality as it pertains to this part of the world.
0: Well, Dakota, thank you so much for weighing in. We really appreciate your insights. My pleasure. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, praying for peace. A Mexican bishop turns to Our Lady of Guadalupe in hopes of saving his region from violence. Plus, Pope Francis shares a secret for improving our spiritual lives. Well, news out of the United Kingdom tonight. Critically ill infant Indy Gregory has died. The eight month old died in her mother's arms following a lengthy legal battle for her life. She was removed from life support on Saturday against her parents' wishes. Attempts to have her transferred to the Vatican Children's Hospital fell through in court. Indy was baptized in September. The bishop of a crime ridden region in Mexico recently made a pilgrimage to the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe. There he and over 600 of the faithful pleaded to Our Lady. For an end to the violence. Pope Francis invites the faithful to worry less about trying to impress others and to instead focus on our interior lives. La and a Sunday address to the Vatican. The Holy Father says inward reflection will help us control our thoughts and feelings. The work may not be easy given all the distractions in our world, but a few moments of quiet reflection every day will pay big dividends. On the University of Notre Dame and Super Bowl champion Harrison Bucker award $10,000 to a group seeking to create a monastic village for ex-prisoners. The goal of the Serenelli project is to help former inmates re-enter society In a Catholic centered community. The project was chosen out of 130 applicants for their bold ideas to restore this underutilized church property. And finally, tonight, the newest towers at a famous Catholic church in Spain are all aglow. La Sagrada Familia Minor Basilica, the towers dedicated to the evangelists Matthew and John were blessed by the Archbishop of Barcelona. The only remaining unfinished tower of Jesus Christ is set to be completed in 2026. and We thank you for watching tonight. and Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.